They've got a brand new stadium, a big one, and they're going to put a big flag out there in a moment because the Eagle has landed for the Premiers. There's a new dynasty in the NBA. The Golden State Warriors champions once again. Hello everyone, welcome to the Sports Desk. With me I have April and Tom on your Wednesday morning. How are you today, guys? Uh, very excited. Another Carlton win in the top eight. So obviously I'm very happy. How are you, April? I'm good. Crazy how after we talked about it last week and we were like, oh, that won't happen. They got a massive win. Yeah, just thumped the Bulldogs into the top eight by like half a percent or something. So we'll get into that later. But oh, I just it's really happy for me. Really happy for the Blues. How are you, Kendra? Yeah, I'm good. Um, yeah, it was good to see Carlton get into the top eight, even though I don't go for them. It was nice to see them break into the top for once. So that was really good to see. Also happy that Richmond did actually have a win, even though they were quite depleted. So that was really good. So I'm in a good mood. That's good. Well, I think we'll dive straight into our, our AFL chat. Um, of course, it was round six. And as we've touched on, we've got Carlton in the top eight. So the ladder's looking a little bit different to usual. It is. It's looking oh, very good, actually. Um, a lot of teams on 12 points and eight points. And, you know, after, I guess, next week, you know, the whole top eight could just change completely. But for the moment, it's looking very interesting. Um, it's just really nice to finally be in the top eight after seven years of not being there. So it's, I'll, take, I'll take as much as I can for the moment. So we've got, we've got Port Adelaide sitting on top of the ladder on 20 points. Then we've got Geelong and Brisbane in second and third. My team, the Bombers, are in fourth with a game in hand, as I keep reminding everyone who wants to talk to me about it. Um, we've got Collingwood in fifth, Richmond in sixth, St Kilda in seventh, and, of course, Carlton in eighth. So we've got a few of the usual teams who um, have been in the top eight in the past couple of years have slipped out of it for the moment. Perhaps Hawthorne are one of the more notable ones, sitting down in 13th after another pretty bad loss over the weekend. So not a good start to hub life for the Hawks. Well, yeah, you think, um, you know, the Giants, West Coast, uh, you know, Hawthorne, even the Bulldogs, maybe they're all, you know, we're looking for finals at the start of this year. So I guess they're, they're more teams to watch out for coming up and, you know, a lot of changes maybe coming to the eight, coming up soon in these hubs as well. Yeah. Definitely. I'm quite surprised about GWS and also the Bulldogs at the start of the season were like actually looking really good, but now they've dropped a little bit back. So it'll be interesting to see how round eight they all go for if they can chip their spots. On FM, on DAB Plus and streaming online at sin.org.au. This is Sin. We young people run the show. One of the big talking points was the Richmond-Sydney game, which ended up with Richmond winning 34 to Sydney's 26, um, Richmond kicked 4-10 and Sydney kicked 3-8. So an extremely low-scoring game and people weren't happy with how it looked. It's been labelled as a horrendous match. We've got both coaches um, trash-talking each other's tactics and game plans. Um, and I saw the game was also described as a bit of a kick-to-kick and it's almost turned out exactly the same now in the post-match analysis. Um, what were you guys' thoughts on this match? Uh, it's a very poor performance from both teams. Um, you know, it's not, it's not the best day for either of them. 
Um, you know, if, if one of them had turned up, it would have, you know, that would have smashed the other. I think it's just, you know, first first day, first game in hub life. Um, I just don't think the preparation was there for either team. They weren't ready for it. Um, and I think it's just a one-off. Hopefully it's just a one-off, but I think it's just a, yeah, I think the teams will prepare next week better and we'll be, we'll be back and running to normal. Yeah, it was definitely a really messy game, but I just thought perhaps maybe the weather could have played a little bit of a role in how they were performing. I mean, it was their first game at the Gabba and there was quite a lot of rain. So I know that's not an excuse with weather, but that was what I thought was the problem. Also, I was hoping to see some players step up a little bit. Like I was hoping to see a little bit more from Rioli, but some players just didn't seem to be playing up to the standard that they have usually played. Yeah, the weather definitely doesn't help most... uh most teams and players and yeah I guess the skills were just horrendous with the rain and it didn't help anything at all. We've seen Richmond uh, have a few low scoring matches this season so far do you think there's perhaps a bit of a weakness in their attacking line and their forwards aren't really delivering and being able to put scores on the board? Uh, Potentially um, maybe with the shorter quarters they're not used to because Richmond uh, previously have been used to running over teams and scoring late in the game and being so much fitter than everybody else. But with the shorter quarters, they don't really have that opportunity anymore because teams are more fresh and more ready for it. So that might be a contributing factor as well. Yeah. And like you say, Richmond do usually strike later in the game. However, I thought in this game, they started off early really well. Like they got the jump on Sydney, but they didn't seem to maintain it. One other talking point from this round is from my team, the Bombers game. Uh, They beat North Melbourne 67 to 53. Another good win for Essendon. But coming out of that match, we have had Dylan Scheel get a two-week suspension for high impact, which he is appealing today when we are recording. So it'll be yesterday when you're listening to this show. Um, what do you guys think of his bump? It was for a uh, head high contact. I definitely think he could have avoided it. Um, he did, unfortunately, um, unlucky for him, he did go over the ball and go for the bump instead of the, the possession. So that doesn't really look to be in his favour. Um, not sure about the appeal either, especially, you know, Essendon trying to keep themselves in the finals hunt. Um it's not not good if you get extra an extra couple of weeks off this appeal as well. Yeah, I think, yeah, he went in for the bump rather than the ball, but it was because also he got him in the head. So I think any player, whether they intended to or not, they should get some time for that because that could have ended quite badly. Luckily, Curtis Taylor didn't actually have any injury from that impact. But yeah, definitely if you've gone in for the head, then it's definitely need some time out. Obviously, I'm a bit biased going into this um, this decision, but generally, I do think that decisions by um, the tribunal uh, should be based more on the action and not on the results. So I don't think the fact that he didn't cause a serious injury should mean he gets a lesser punishment for it. I think it should be based purely on the action rather than the impact of it. Yeah, and the problem with that is the tribunal are just, uh, you know, have a tendency to not be very consistent. So you never know what they're going to put up at the moment. Um, so I guess we'll have to wait and see. Sin, where young people run the show. Um, so one of the big um, injuries um, over the weekend was Jonathan Patton re-injuring himself again. Uh, he can't seem to get a consistent couple of games on the on the track and can't seem to get some form into him and really unlucky for himself and for Hawthorne. Um, what do you guys think about that? 
Um, I was watching this game and I know a heap about Madden's history, but um, of course we saw the scenes just watching on TV of him in tears on the bench, um, which is something I want to get into after this about what our thoughts were on them showing that. But obviously pretty disappointing for him and it kind of went through um, stages of us not knowing at first. We weren't sure if it was his knee or a hip injury and if it was going to be something really serious has ended up being his right hamstring um, and still a pretty serious hamstring injury. So unfortunately he's going to sit out for a bit. Yeah, it was also, uh, I think he injured his ACL and then that was the same hamstring. So that could be quite a serious injury, but we'll see how it goes. And then, yeah, going on to the, you know, the emotions of the players being shown on camera, um, you know, you have your swings and roundabouts as well. I know for the Carlton game, they were showing the excitement from the players on the side when they were getting strapped up. Um, during the game and that sort of stuff. So it, it can be, you know, to show some, some happy moments, but then for the pattern stuff, it's really, you know, it's really hard to see and really sad for him. Yeah, definitely. I don't think, I didn't have a big problem with the cameras focusing on him while he was crying. I think it's a pretty um, natural thing for TV, the TV industry to look for emotion and they want to show that. Um, I also think, you know, could have put a towel over his head or something if you really didn't want to be on camera. So I know there was quite a bit of um, talk, especially in the moment while it was happening, um, calling for the cameras to stop showing him because he was obviously quite distressed. But I think that's just something that you know is going to happen if you're showing emotion on the bench. Yeah, I can see to um, the school of thought on this because like one, you've got like the player who's obviously distressed, but I think, yeah, it's a natural emotion for anyone who has played sport and, you know, you get a serious injury, your biggest fear is you're going to be missing your sport for quite a few weeks. I think, yeah, it's natural to be upset and there shouldn't be any shame in how you feel. And especially, I think it's a good thing, in my opinion, that they are showing that everyone does feel emotions, that they're not these just concrete, cold people that are out playing a game. Well, yeah, it shows how much he, um, it, it means to him about how, you know, he doesn't want to miss any more time. He just wants to be out there playing with his mates. And, yeah, like, you, you don't want to be showing, um, you know, the camera on him the whole time and for minutes on end. You know, show it once or twice to, to show that he cares about it and then he's emotional about it. But, yeah, don't keep going back to it just to get, you know, the views up or whatever. Yeah, there's definitely the happy medium. You don't want it to be the full focus of the game. So, yeah, 100% agree. All right, so just before we move on, I just want to mention um, a bit of the cricket that's happened over the weekend. Um, so the West Indies have uh, fortunately beaten the England uh, cricket team by four wickets on the final day, the first international test since the coronavirus break. Um, they've taken a 1-0 lead in a three-test series, uh, thanks to a knock of 95 by Jermaine Blackwood. And in typical England fashion, the test started off with rain delays. So that's just uh, very England and just very happy that they lost. So that's nice. Sin, where young people run the show. Soft memories of youthful days. So now we're moving on to the tennis where Wimbledon, even though it was cancelled, are paying their 620 players the $10 million prize money. What are our thoughts on this, guys? I think it's really good. And really, um, you know, especially because Wimbledon came out and they had they did, they did have their, their pandemic insurance, which is really surprising to everyone that they had that in the first place. But because that insurance is now being paid out, they have the ability for this, for the, the $10 million pound prize money to be paid for these players. So I think it's really good for the, especially for the lower ranked players, like we were discussing last week that, you know, really live off, live off this kind of money. So it's good for them and really helps out everybody. It's nice as well because the money is going to be pretty like evenly split across everyone. So it's going to 
224 singles players who would have just made it to qualifying. Then it's also going to all the players who would have made the main draw. Um, it's also going to the doubles players and wheelchair players. So everybody's getting a slice of the money. Um, and I think a pretty decent payout. I'm not sure exactly what the usual, say, like first round loss prize money is. Um, but I imagine just from reading it, um, for example, the players who would have made qualifying are getting £12,500 each, which sounds like a pretty good amount of money. Um, and it's definitely a great thing for them to be doing, considering that the tournament can't go ahead. So I think this will keep everyone pretty happy. Yeah, it is a really good thing, especially for those young emerging players that, you know, even if they were playing Wimbledon, wouldn't have gotten close to this sort of money. But now they have a chance to use this money and work towards coming back after coronavirus. It's also good, like, because most of that money usually goes to the top, like, five tennis players. I've always thought they get a little bit too much of the money, but this is a really good chance for those younger tennis players to take some money. It's really good for all the wheelchair and quad wheelchair players as well. I know they get sort of lost in, in the background of everything a lot of the time. So it's really nice that they're getting a pay out of this too. Especially after we had the US Open controversy of them almost cancelling the wheelchair tournament, which of course Dylan Alcott from Australia was um, leading the, the charge for them to reinstate that competition um so it's great that they've been included in this without any issue turn up your radio this is sin to talk about another sport now that's been affected by coronavirus um this is of course related to the olympics we're going to look at how swimming has been affected today um kendra do you want to talk a bit about how australia's swimmers have been affected um particularly with now how different states are in terms of their restrictions that are in place. Yes, yeah, so swimming is probably one of the sports who has been most affected by it because a lot of pools have been shut down across the country. Um, a lot of the swimmers in Victoria are, have been affected as they were back in a second lockdown compared to states like Queensland who are reopening and some pools up there are opening. So the swimmers at, in Queensland are definitely at a greater advantage also they are known for being the swimmers at the national meets that always dominate. So Victorians have actually been a further disadvantage, which could be quite interesting to see how they go at the next national competition. But um, what are your guys' thoughts on it? I definitely, um, you know, sucks for all the Victorian swimmers at the moment, especially with the Olympics, you know, coming around the corner again. Um, so definitely not fair on them. And then when you, you know, you look over to somewhere like America where they're still in this pandemic, um, you know, I can't imagine all these swimmers stopping swimming because they're in a pandemic. So it's just very unfortunate for these these uh, swimmers. Yeah, and also America are also known for dominating the pool. It'll be interesting to see how the 2021 Olympics does go with those swimmers because they haven't been able to obviously train at the same extent that they are used to training. So it will be very different at the next Olympics, I reckon. Yeah, I wonder just back to the Victorian Queensland kind of thing, whether whether some of the Victorian swimmers thought about trying to move up to Queensland or somewhere where they could continue their training and not be disadvantaged by the lockdown. Yeah, see, some swimmers without coronavirus would actually go up and move to Queensland to be able to train for that system because they do have a more professional swimming system than Victoria does. Also, it's the lifestyle at Queensland is more conducive to swimming because of the weather. So a lot of them do actually move up there. So it would have been interesting to see how many swimmers actually tried to move during the coronavirus pandemic. Sin, 
we're young people run the show. All right, there has been a bit of debate surrounding the qualifying for the Olympics in swimming. So head coach Jacko Viren has made the selection where swimmers must post the qualifying time at several world championships rather than the traditional selection um, process, which was the first and second swimmer at the national championships were automatically on the team. What are your thoughts on this, guys? Just based on hearing um, you explain that, because I haven't known much about the swimming selection process beforehand, does this method sort of um, cancel out the possibility of someone just having a really good swim at the national trial and winning their race and getting through? Um, Does this mean that they have to sort of show that they're more consistently getting that really good result to get them into the team? Yeah, so this suits the swimmer that can consistently race well. The old method of qualifying um, suits swimmers that would just have a blinding race on the day but may not necessarily race well. So it's definitely more consistent to how the swimmer performs overall, which I think is good for swimmers going into the Olympics. But it is hard because you could potentially have a national champion missing out on going to the Olympics. Well, yeah, looking at it from an outside perspective, I don't really know much about swimming. It does seem like the consistent times would, you know, you, you would think they would be the better swimmer because, you know, swimming the consistently faster times. But then again, you know, it all comes down to that one race and, the, you know, the gold medal race. It doesn't matter how consistent you are. You have to have the best race of your life to win that gold. So it just, yeah, I guess it just depends on what, what method really works for the country and the swimmers. Yeah, and also an experienced head coach called Laurie Lawrence, who is a bit of a legend in the sport, has come out and slammed it. He believes it should stay the traditional way where swimmers at the nationals, um, whoever swim first and second, are automatically on the team. He doesn't believe in the consistent approach because he already believes that swimming's cutthroat enough and this is too much pressure on it, too confusing, where we should just keep it more simple. So I saw that he came out and was uh, specifically targeting that those comments at um, the head coach Viren, who's stepping down from the position and going to be replaced by Rowan Taylor, who will be the new incoming head coach. Um, it seems to say though that Taylor is going to keep um, this this way of um, selecting the athletes for the Olympic team. So perhaps is Laurie Lawrence like the only one, is he sort of going out on a limb here calling for the old method to be brought back? Yeah, so I think that Ryan Taylor's following that principle of consistency, especially when you have swimmers in the sprint races like Kyle Chalmers in the 100-metre race. You want to, If he had a bad day at the national championships, he could potentially miss out on going to another Olympics when he's proven that he is someone that is a very... Um, good swimmer who can win an Olympic medal. So you definitely don't want to be cancelling out swimmers like that. Yeah, I think like when you mentioned before how um, it'd be strange for a national champion not to make the Olympic team in the same way it's strange for a consistent high-performing swimmer not to make the Olympic team. So it's one of those things where you almost can't win um, if people are having phenomenal performances at the national championships but not performing year-round. It's hard hard to know who to choose. Before we move on to our soccer talk, I just want to mention um, arguably one of Australia's greatest ever captains, Mia Yedinak, has announced his retirement from professional football. Um, For for those who don't know, he captained um, Australia to our first ever piece of international silverware, the Asian Cup in 2015. He played 178 games for Crystal Palace, captaining them 
taking him to the Premier League, I believe, in 2011-2012. Ended his career at Aston Villa, uh, where he got released last year after the 2018-19 season. And then he came out yesterday or two days ago to announce his retirement from football as well. A great career from him all round. Um, definitely done great things for Australian uh, football slash soccer. So it'll be interesting to see whether he um, carries on to uh, perhaps coaching or anything else related in the sport in the future. It would be lovely to see him as a coach and keep the, um, the professionalism going through the family and just help all these young guns out. Sin, where young people run the show. Soft memories of youthful days. Well, next in our soccer chat, I wanted to talk to you guys about a Serie A match between Juventus and Atalanta. It was a two-all draw, but it was a bit of a controversial match because there were two handball penalties given. Um, and I wanted to ask you guys what you thought about them. Um, both of them were sort of the the accidental handballs in the box where the players were really just had the ball kicked into their kicked into their arms and um, naturally the rule says that if the ball hits your hand in the box no matter whether you're trying to or not it's an immediate penalty but in this case um, it did come across as a bit a bit rough what did you guys think so there is a bit of, I think there's a bit of discretion for the, the handball. So if your arm's in an unnatural position, it's 100% guaranteed a penalty. And if it's by your side and locked in and not in an unnatural position, I think the, it's up to the referee then to decide whether it's a penalty or not. Uh, the first one, by the looks of it, definitely didn't look like a, a, a penalty. Um, he, he, you know, turned his body to stop the ball. His arm was by his chest and it hit his, um, his elbow on his chest and his stomach. So that probably shouldn't have been a penalty but the second one you could argue um that that was a penalty his arm was a bit over his shoulder and more of an unnatural position there so that could be argued for not not being a penalty yeah I mean I don't know a whole lot about soccer but by the look of it I think that the first one was a bit of a rough call the second one I think definitely was a penalty but I'm saying that from someone who doesn't know a whole lot about soccer I think one of the other um, things with these two is that both incidents sort of happened quite near the edge of the box. And so it seemed like it was, it was a big move to then move them to the penalty spot for the free kick. Um, when really, if it had been another meter out, they would have been outside of the box. So it's just one of those disappointing things that happens in soccer sometimes. Um, And I guess, I guess it's just part of the game. So pretty hard to argue with the rules as they are. Yeah, and if it happened to, like, I'm not much of a Juventus fan, so I was hoping they would have lost and dropped the points for the top. But if it happened to someone like um, I follow Inter, so if it happened to them, I would have been very happy and just wouldn't have cared or whatever. So I just, you know, has the swings and roundabouts as well. All right. Um, to come back home with the soccer chat, uh, with an A-League update. So last week on the show, we, of course, talked about how the Victorian teams were stuck in Melbourne after missing their flights or their flights being grounded by bad weather and them not being able to get out of the Victorian uh, before the Victorian New South Wales border closed. Um, They have now been granted their exemption to get into the state, but they have to complete a 14-day quarantine before they're allowed to play any matches in the A-League. The Victorian clubs have three games left of the season, I believe. So it's going to force a big fixture shake-up. 
to be able to let them play their games because obviously everything's going to have to be pushed back. Yeah, it's very unfortunate that this has had to happen, especially because in another states you have all the footy teams now if they're quarant so you have i think it was collingwood and geelong flying over to perth but they're allowed to play each other next week because they're quarantining together so it's a bit unlucky for these victorian clubs that can't get these games done even though they are going to be playing each other um but then again it is lucky that they're playing each other so they're not um disrupting any of the other fixtures as well and just on that as well, they're, they're, uh, I believe they're extending the season by six days to get those games completed. So it's not actually going to be any longer than what it usually would have been, just an extra, an extra, extra week, which is not too bad. Yeah, I think in the end, it seems like it's working out pretty well um, that only six days extra is not going to make too much of a, a difference to the season. And it's all really been pretty um, frustrating for them, having been so close to the end of their season and having so much drama to get in these last few rounds. So hopefully they'll now be able to get them done without any more dramas. So yeah, with the A-League ladder, you do have Sydney um, on top as well. So they're pretty far up. You have City second, Wellington third, Brisbane fourth, and then Perth fifth. But then you have Western United, Adelaide and Sydney all on 27, 26 points. So that's going to be very interesting for the restart as well. And especially for Western United having to have this quarantine and more time off. Um, you just got to wonder whether that's going to disadvantage them for their finals run. Um, so hopefully this, their six extra days at the end of the season can make up for that. And hopefully, you know, for their first season, hopefully they can make finals. It'd be great for them as well. Absolutely. They, they had a really good start to their season as well. Um, it feels like so long ago that that was. Um, so hopefully they can let this not disrupt them and finish off strong because um, it's definitely pretty close around that middle section of the ladder. So um, one loss here or there could really change things up. On FM, on DAB Plus and streaming online at sin.org.au. This is Sin. We young people run the show. Moving on to some news in the NBA. LeBron James has chosen not to wear a social justice jersey following the Black Lives Matter movement. What are your thoughts on this, guys? Um, I feel like someone like LeBron doesn't need to prove himself with, uh, not that he's proving himself, but doesn't need to do that for, the, for everything that he's done before all of everything that's happened as well. Like he has built a school in his hometown for kids. He's paying for all of their tuitions. And if they make college, he's going to pay for their college fees. So he does so much for his community in the first place. Um, it's something that LeBron doesn't, need to to do as much and even just on that like it's 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 a really good initiative for the nba to do the um the social the social social justice jerseys and all the all the different names on the back so it's really nice for players to express what they want and um to different causes that's really close to them as well yeah definitely i think um lebron said how he didn't think um a slogan could encompass um his views on social justice and um, I definitely see that point of view in some ways. Like, obviously, it's a great initiative, but nevertheless, um, you can't put too much on a jersey. So the slogans that have been, um, the messages that have been approved are all, like, two or three word things, um, you know, things just like Black Lives Matter or um, I Can't Breathe or just something like justice or peace. So it's pr- a pretty simple message. Um, and you see why some players might not feel like that necessarily resonates with them and the complexity of their views on the issues. I've been seeing a lot of um, education reform as well from a couple of players that wanting to put that on the back of their jerseys as well, which is something that 
they feel is getting lost in everything as well. Yeah, definitely. Also, I think with LeBron, um, he said in an article that um, what he likes to do everything with purpose. And also he said that he wasn't a part of the process of making these jerseys. So therefore he's not going to wear it, but everything he does, he likes it to come from him with his purpose. So I think that is very good that he's chosen to do that, but it's also good for the players that are choosing to wear it because I think that it is a really good initiative, especially in sport. Yeah, and we've seen it in the Premier League as well. They have Black Lives Matter on the back of their jerseys and the whole um, the NHS workers as well on the front of their jerseys to thank them. And it's just, it's really nice that all these sporting leagues are allowing their players to do that as well. We saw the uh, the Grand Prix drivers also wearing black t-shirts saying end racism and they all took a knee and uh, made a small stand against racism before the latest Grand Prix, the Steermark Grand Prix on the weekend, of course, um, in Austria after the first Grand Prix back kicked off last weekend. Um, Tom, perhaps did you want to take us through the results of this one? Yes, so uh, it was not as exciting as last week, unfortunately, but it was still a very nice race to watch. Um, It's sort of gone back to normal now with Hamilton first, Bottas second, and then you have Verstappen third. So Hamilton led the race from start to finish, uh, didn't slow down. The cars were incredible from Mercedes. Um, there's nothing really much to talk about for that. But there was a bit of controversy at the end of the race. Uh, after the race, I'll get to that in a second. Um, Aussies, uh, the Aussie Daniel Ricciardo finished eighth. Should have finished a bit higher, but the Renault car coming back into its own and having some car problems again, which he lost a lot of his pace um, towards the end of the race. And then um, the Racing Point cars as well overtook him towards the end. Lando Norris, again, had an incredible last lap and jumped uh, Ricardo, Stroll and Perez to finish fifth. And then after the race as well, Renault have lodged a complaint to the FIA about the Racing Point car because the Racing Point car is essentially a 2019 Mercedes car. And what the... The complaint is about is pretty much that the racing point that racing point have used a design that features elements that have not been designed by them they've instead taken the design from mercedes and used that and not developed their own so that's something that to look to look out for in the next couple of days at the start of the season it was all cleared but now there's another complaint so that's something to to look forward to as well so in uh formula one racing each uh car company or um, team has to design their own cars because I would have thought um, wouldn't it be quite normal for them to take things from other teams even if it's just sort of taking inspiration but I would imagine they've all got a lot of things in common. Yes so it all has to be still to standard so you can't go crazy and make whatever you want so you still have you still have standards but then you you have um, like like you know that that, like there's a reason the Mercedes car is so much better than all the others because they have this so much more money and all the engine power and the super dynamic aerodynamics and stuff so it just uh, someone like Racing Point who has the money but don't have the knowledge that Mercedes do they can take the inspiration from Mercedes but you're not allowed to have the exact car that they have you can't take the plans for that car and just reuse it you have to still develop your own car right Well, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that one. Um, One other thing from the race was that this was Lewis Hamilton's 85th career victory. Um, Michael Schumacher has the all-time record of 91 
victories. So Hamilton is getting pretty close to that record. It's also another stat for Hamilton as well. It's 14 consecutive years he's had a win in a Grand Prix season. So he he started 14 years ago and he's had a win in every single season he's been a part of, which is just an incredible stat for him. Sin, where young people run the show. So big news out of America and the NFL overnight. Um, for those who don't know, there is a team called the Washington Redskins. Um, so the Redskins is a, is a name uh, given as like a sort of a derogatory term to Native American Indians. And there's been a lot of controversy for a long time about the name of the Washington Redskins football team. And so everything that's going on at the moment, they've had an internal review and on, the, on July 3rd and this morning or in America time this morning, they announced officially that they're going to change the nickname Redskins and they're going to change their logo. What do you guys think about that? This comes straight after we've sort of seen just the, um, the lollies Redskins um, that we have here in Australia. Uh, announcing that they're, I think, going to change their name as well. Um, there's a pretty big sort of cultural movement, I think, for anything that has um, racist or derogatory undertones to change the name as well. So I think this is a great, great step for them to be taking. Yeah. I just wonder about the fans that have been supporting Redskins for like years. How are they going to react? Like I know that they probably take a lot of pride in the name that they've had for a few years. How are they going to react to this? Well, there's um, all the comments I've been reading online. It's very, it's not actually as, they're not actually as angry as you would expect from Americans as well. I think there's a lot of support for them changing the name because this discussion has been going on way you know for years and years and years that they should change their name they're going to change their name they're not going to so it's not so much as a, as a surprise i think the fans were sort of ready for it and i think a lot of them are are fine with the name change as well i wonder if it will be um one of those things though where we do see just sort of in general society the name taking a few years or many years to actually fully die out because obviously you know, there's going to be fans who have the current jerseys or um, whatever other merchandise that they would bring to games with the logo and the name on it. And I don't think all those fans would immediately go and buy the new, the new stuff. So I think the name's probably going to hang around in the background for a fair while. Um, but I think, again, for it to be officially changed, I think that's the right thing to do, especially in the current climate at the moment. Yeah, and just on that as well, I know it's very, very different to AFL where all the teams, you know, they're not moving anywhere because there's so much money in NFL. Uh, if, if a team's not making money, they're just going to move them and go to a different state or change the name completely. So for that sort of thing, they're not, they're, they're, I think that NFL fans are sort of used to teams changing names and changing locations and that sort of stuff. But yeah, it, it'll still stick around for another couple of years as well. It won't die out very easily. Sin, where young people run the show. Soft memories of youthful days. All right, before we wrap up this Wednesday's show of the Sports Desk with April, Kendra and Tom, we're going to talk about one of the weird sports that there is, which is toe wrestling. Um, toe wrestling is not something that I'm particularly familiar with. Tom, you brought this sport up for us today. Um, what's toe wrestling all about? So toe wrestling invented in Staffordshire in England in 1976. It was pretty much just in invented by a group of mates at a pub that just wanted, that, that had the idea that they wanted Brits to be good at something. So they invented toe wrestling as an, as an event. 
Um, and ever since its inception, they've written to the um, International Olympic Committee to try and get it as a sport as well. And unfortunately for us, uh, it has been denied every time. I think it just blows my mind that <laughs> this started in 1976. Yeah, it's just incredible that it's so old. Um, so pretty much what happens, um, it's a competition between two participants uh, with their bare feet in a square ring. Opponents sit on the floor, lock their big toes and then battle in an arm wrestle style to wrangle the other's foot to the sideboard of the designated wrestling area. Just, I don't know, I don't know how to, it's just an incredible sport and something I reckon we need to bring to Australia. So I just cannot picture how this started. Um, it also... I'm not really sure what the, the research is on how coronavirus is transmitted through your feet, but I'm not sure if it's particularly COVID safe. Um, and we have seen, believe it or not, there is a World Toe Wrestling Championship, um, which was meant to be held in, held in England this year um, at the end of June, but it has been unfortunately cancelled. Um, not sure if they've got a postponement date to this naturally massive event. Um, for the English and the world. See, I just wonder, like I thought this with the hot dog eating that we talked about last week, what sort of preparation goes into preparing for an event like this? So now I can see how the hot dogs, how they prepare, but I honestly don't see how you would prepare for toe wrestling. So I've got a photo up here. I'm not going to show anybody because it's a little disturbing, but there's actually a specific, um, like a toe band that makes sense so you have this band that goes over your two big toes and you have to like move your toes like outward to just strengthen your toes i guess that's that's a way interesting i wonder if um i guess like anything if it's suited to a particular toe shape um like if you have really long toes if that makes you better at it because i can imagine then you'd be it'd be easier to sort of wrap your toe around the other person's I don't know, like, does it involve calf muscles, like your hamstrings? Does it involve anything or is it all just like strategy? Like, do you know when you go on a hand wrestle, you've got to get your wrist bent a little bit? Um, uh, just who knows? Who knows? I think people who have like the double jointed or Morton's toe would do really well at this sport. Those toes that are longer than the actual first toe, I reckon they would do really well at this sport. You've got the length. You get more of a grip. Yeah. <laughs> It says as well, I'm just reading an article about um, injuries in the World Toe Wrestling Championships and broken toes are pretty common. So people are really going all out and must have really strong toes. I think looking at some photos as well of some of the competitors, they're real brawly, brawny people just with the massive feet. Oh, I, don't, I can't imagine being in that room and what that room sort of smells like with all these feet everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> not something you want to think about but sorry <laughs> i think it would it'd be like the smell at, when you go roller skating that's how i imagine it yeah no no not pretty <laughs> well with that i think we'll wrap up today's show to leave you with that lovely image in your heads um it hasn't been all toe wrestling this show we've of course talked about all the afl cricket tennis swimming soccer Grand Prix um, and NBA. So we've really covered it all this show. Um, thanks, guys. Once again, we'll be back next Wednesday with another show. Um, I've been April, had Kendra and Tom with me. Um, you're listening to us on Sin and we'll be back next week. I can't get over this toe wrestling. I'm sorry, it's just still on my screen. I just, I was speechless. I didn't know what to say. 
They've got a brand new stadium, a big one.